I meant to mention this. We prayed for a bunch of people last week. If you got healed, uh, we would like to know about it. One of the easiest ways you can do that is go on our website, kingdomchurch.com, and there's a button at the top that says testimonies. We want to be a good steward of the testimonies that God gives us. And so if you could let us know about what God's done, that would really encourage us, and we'll let people know about it and stuff. Speaking of that, Josh down here had a word of knowledge. Somebody's left Achilles has some kind of problem. If that is you, after service, come down here, and he'll pray for you, and it'll be awesome. If you have a Bible, open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to talk to you this morning. We're in a series of teaching about miracles and having a culture of miracles. What we're trying to do is summon ourselves to believe God and to go after everything that God has for us. How many of you like to go after what God has for you? We're not going to back off the promises of God. We're going to believe God and we're going to press into our promised land. The thing I want to talk to you about this morning is dealing with your heart and stewarding your heart while you are in process. Pastor Brian and I were talking, a lot of times people will ask us, what's the hardest part of planting a church? The hardest part has nothing to do with anything external that we do. The hardest part is managing our own personal emotions. It really is. In the kingdom, we're summoned to live with a lot of hope. And we'd like to, at this church, encourage you to hope. Because it's, it's good, and Jesus made all these good promises, and so we want to believe for those. But there's always this tension between what we're believing for and what we're currently experiencing. There's always a gap. And the reason there's a gap is because of this theological thing called the now and not yet reality of the kingdom. The now and not yet reality. This is a question that people have had since the church began, which is, is the kingdom of God now or is it coming? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is it, what did he mean by that? Did he mean in a couple years? Did he mean in a couple millennia? Is it a spiritual kingdom? Is it a natural kingdom? Is the kingdom of God now or not yet? The answer to that question, like so many questions in the Christian life, is yes. (laughs) It's not either or, it's both and. Christianity requires us to deal with certain paradoxes which we don't like because we don't like tension. I try really hard. I love to make things simple. I like to make things easy to understand. But I've I've made this commitment that I don't want to oversimplify. I think that we have a great need in our society society today to have nuance and the ability to have complex conversations and talk about complex ideas without reducing everything to a meme or 144 characters. How many did you get on Twitter? Is it 144? Our society seems to have not very much attention span. And that's a problem. It really is. I was reading this book by P.T. Forsyth, and uh, he said that our safety is in the deep and that there's an intellectual laziness that comes upon us in Christianity, which is a detriment to us. 
and we don't want to do that. Now, we also don't want to make things so complicated that nobody understands what's going on. But we want to recognize that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. We'll talk about why in a second, but Hebrews 2 explains this really well. In Hebrews 2, it's talking about Jesus and how he's better than the angels. Look at verse 5. It says, For unto the angels God has not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But in a certain place someone testified, saying, Now, I love this. If you can't, if you can't remember where something is in the Bible, just remember the writers of the Bible didn't remember either. So they just said, Somewhere in the Bible... <laughs> This is Psalm 8 that he's quoting. But anyway, it says somewhere in the Bible, it says, you have made him a little lower, sorry, saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over all your, your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. In that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Is there anything that is not under Jesus' feet? Nope. Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority, all power in heaven and under earth is given unto me. Everything is under Jesus' feet. Is that true? Yes. Jesus won a complete victory on the cross over sin, sickness, lack, fear, the devil. Any kind of bondage, any kind of evil, the cross is the answer. He won a total victory. Hallelujah. Yeah. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. But now, read the next part of the verse. But now, we see not yet all things under him. Everybody see that? Yeah. Ouch. That's hard to deal with. Why is that there? Because it's real life. How many of you can acknowledge that there are still problems in life? Yeah. Anybody have any? Yeah. Right, I'm a pastor. I'm like a problem magnet. I know, I know that there are problems. I know that there are problems. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And he wants good for your life. He does. He's not good. John 10.10, 10, the thief, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and that more abundantly. But the way that plays out sometimes is a process. There's a picture of this in the Old Testament. Let's look at Numbers 33. What happened to the children of Israel is sort of a prophetic picture of what, what goes on in the church. They came out of Egypt, which represents slavery to sin and the devil. And then God tells them to go into the promised land. Look at Numbers 33, verse 53. It says, And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein. You're going to go into Canaan, you're going to kick out the giants that live there, and you're going to live there. For I have given you the land to possess it. It's already theirs. Yeah. And yet it's not yet theirs. They have a legal right to it, but they're not living there yet. He says, I've made you the legal owners of this land called Canaan. Now go in there and kick out the giants. What he's saying is that he's put us 
over this, period, this, this piece of land, but there's squatters there. There are people there that are illegally there. Now, this is, you have to spiritualize it for the new covenant. So there are demonic forces that are trying to keep you out of the promised land that God has for you. And you, they came in and they, they took the land by a process. Now, as they did this, occasionally they would have difficulties. Anybody read that part of the, the Bible? How many of you have a dream that God's called you to pursue? How many of you recognize there's difficulty sometimes? There is. And so that's the, the thing we've been called to, the now. Hallelujah. B believe God. You can have as much of the kingdom as you'll believe God for. But while you're in process, there's this gap, and it's painful. And what do you, how do you deal with your, your emotions during that situation? That's what we're talking about today. What we're going to do at first, we're going to tell you what not to do. And then we're going to tell you what to do. Does that sound okay? Yeah. This, is, this is real life. This is a pastoral message. It's how do you deal with your emotions in the context of, of believing for breakthrough. If you have loved ones, how many of you have loved ones that you still want to see come to Jesus? How many of you know that it's the will of God for them to come to Jesus? But while there's the gap, there's pain. Is that true? How do, you deal with, how do you deal with that? Well, don't do this, all right? Here's what, <laughs> here's what Joshua did. Joshua goes in. God already gave him the land, right? God gave it to him. And then they, they smite Jericho. They're, they're feeling good. Hallelujah. I love it when we get the breakthrough. I love it. I'm excited. And we're going to go on to the next battle. They go look at this town, Ai, and they think there's not any, very many people there. It's a weak town. Let's just send up a few people. We'll, we'll wipe Ai out. No big deal. Verse 7, or excuse me, verse 4. So there went up thither to Ai of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 36 men, and they chased them before the gate unto Shebron and smote them into the going down, where, uh, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So they're all afraid. And Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust on their heads. I think I'm ringing a little bit, guys. And Joshua said... Alas, O Lord God, wherefore have you brought us all this people over to the Jordan to dwell, or to, to, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs from their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. And I love this phrase. They'll environ us around. And they'll, that means they'll surround us. And they'll cut us off from the earth. And what will you do under their great name? Okay. Anybody ever had a problem even after you were a Christian? <laughs> this, is what, this is what happened to Joshua. And here's what we're all tempted to do. Oh, God! We're all going to die! Everything's terrible! Why, why did I even become a Christian? I should have stayed back. This is, you got to understand, Joshua, he, he, was, he was in the wilderness 
He saw these other guys, and, and the children of Israel, they've been doing this forever. They, they go out of Egypt, and, and there's no water, and they say, God, why'd you bring us out here to starve to death? There's no water out here. We, are there not graves in Egypt? We could have stayed back there and died. Hallelujah. And they start, to, they start to panic, and they think, we ought to go back to Egypt. Why are we even doing this thing? It's hard. It's painful. I don't like it. I want to go home. Now, if you think about it rationally, in Egypt, they were enslaved. That's not better. They're in the promised land. They've won a major victory already. A major, they've got a small problem. It's a small problem. It doesn't, it doesn't undo everything else that God has done for them. The trouble is, as you look at the small problem, it gets really big, and you start to think, wow, this is the whole story of my life. But it's not. The whole story of your life is you were in bondage to sin and the devil, and you've been delivered, and your sins have been forgiven forever. And yeah, there's still giants in the land, and one of them might be giving you a particular fit, and you might have pain, and you might have confusion. But the story of your life is you're winning. You're already in the promised land. Does Jesus love you? Do you have people around you that love you? Is there something good in your life? You live, you're in the promised land. But then they start to question the character of God. They say, God, God brought us out. You know, they're talking to each other. and They're like, you know, you know what? I've been meditating on this. And I got a revelation. I got a revelation by staring at my problems 24-7. <laughs> and here is the revelation that I have received. God wants to kill us. <laughs> I know this is true because I'm a deep theologian. And I've understood this thing. That's what they're saying. Now, now we all laugh at that because I'm making jokes about it. But do you understand that, that often problems come into people's lives and then, and then we start to question the goodness of God and the character of God. We start to lose sight of the bigger story and we think, well, you know, maybe, maybe God doesn't really love me that much and, and why am I doing this whole thing? And then sometimes they just want to quit. They want to give up and quit. So we don't want to do any of that. Can everybody say amen to that? I think for most of us in here, we, we've made commitments not to do those things. But what, what concerns me in, in this setting as a church is that, I, I mean, I'm a faith person. We tell people to believe God and stuff. But I've, I've talked to a lot of faith people and prayed with a lot of them and, and some of you and stuff. And what concerns me is sometimes that when, when people have this gap, you know, and they're, they're believing for something and they're not getting the full breakthrough, that you can, people start to feel condemned. And they start to think, well, I'm, maybe there's something wrong with me. I'm not a very good Christian. I must have some fundamental problem. And I, I know this is hard. I mean, I, I love doing prayer lines. And so I'll go down, uh, you know, I'll pray for this person, and you can see something visible happen. Then I pray for this person, pray for this person, and you get to another person. It seems like, it seems like nothing's happened. Anybody ever seen that happen? Now, I've learned not to judge by external things because I, and I tell people stuff can be going on that you don't realize that I don't realize. So I don't, I don't care about any of that. But it can be hard to be the person that it looks like nothing's happening to. 
Is that true? I was one time in one of these lines, and this my friend that was a he was a he's a really strong prophetic person. He was praying for people. When he got to me, it was obvious he was really anointed. And you could see stuff happening when he was praying for people. It was like he was electricity. But then he got to me and it was like I was wood. <laughs> and he starts praying for me. And it was clear to me that God had something he wanted to give me through this person. But for whatever reason, I was, it didn't seem like it was happening. I was having a hard time receiving it. And out of my mouth came these words. I said, I'm sorry, man. I'm a bad receiver. Now, you don't say that to a prophetic person, at least this one, because he looked at me and he, he stopped praying and, and he, he was real intense and he says, God says you're a good receiver. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I repent. <laughs> I changed my confession and it's, it's helped me. Let's all say this together. I am a good receiver. I am good at receiving every good thing God has for me. Oh, but pastor, I still have this problem. I look, we, welcome to the club. You're still a good receiver. You're still a good receiver. There's nothing wrong with you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you've been made a new creation in Christ. You're a new person. I love miracles. Miracles testify that Jesus is alive and that he loves us, but they're not the primary means of demonstrating that love. Now, when Jesus heals somebody, there's a great release of love. I love that's amazing to me. But what's the greatest demonstration of the love of God? It's, it's the cross and, and salvation. Romans 5.8 says God commended or he demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But pastor, there's a giant and he's hard to kill. I know, but Jesus, Jesus died for you. So who are you going to let tell you about the love of God? The giant or what Jesus did on the cross? I've got, to, I've got to learn to live this way because, because my life is never going to be perfect. I hate to break it to you. But Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I've got to learn to deal with, with the tension and the pain of life. And the way I do that, I, I, I look at the cross and I exalt the cross over whatever it is that I'm currently going through. I know Jesus loves me. And you can come to a place, I mean, I don't... I, I, I used to struggle with this, but I really don't anymore. And I'm not bragging, but I'm telling I, It doesn't matter what happens to me. I know that God loves me. I don't stress about it anymore because the cross proves it. It's his closing argument. <laughs> regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what you're going through, I want you to know Jesus loves you and he thinks you're awesome. And so do we. So there's not anything wrong with anybody in here. Amen. Is that Okay. We want to be a church where we aren't pointing fingers at each other and, and killing our wounded. Yeah. Yeah. Now, somebody on the battlefield might get, might, they might screw up and they might get wounded, but you, but you going over there and telling them, well, you shouldn't have screwed up. 
Well, I mean, how much is that going to help? No. So we don't, we don't do that. Thank you for responding, Josh. I appreciate it. <laughs> Josh understands what I'm saying. So, so, you know, this is a thing that grieves me. I don't, I don't, we don't do this here, but, but you know, sometimes you, you might have an insecure prayer minister and they might pray for you and then you don't get a breakthrough and then to protect their own heart, they blame you. Well, that's not good. No. We aren't going to do that. Jesus, Jesus summoned people to believe, but you know, you, know who, you know who he chastised for not believing, right? Was it the pray-e or the pray-or? The pray-or, not the pray-e. Really quiet in here. <laughs> That's a true statement. If you have a problem, Jesus isn't mad at you. I also want to say this. You aren't less of a Christian if you receive a breakthrough through some supposedly natural means. What's that mean? Well, how many of you have heard of Andrew Womack? He's, I love Andrew. He's amazing. So I don't know if there's anybody that believes in the supernatural more than Andrew. And he tells this story about this guy that came to him. And he told this when I was in Bible college. He said, a man came to me and wanted to get new teeth because his teeth were messed up. You know, sometimes your teeth fall out. You need, they tell me you, got, you can't brush too hard. How many of you know? I mean, they, anyway. <laughs> so his teeth fell out. And, and he's like, I want you to pray with me to get some new teeth. So Andrew's like, all right, let's believe God. So they pray. Jesus, give this man new teeth. Amen. Guy goes out. As he's leaving, somebody calls him on the phone, like a relative or something. And they say, this is strange, but God just spoke to me, and he told me to pay for you to have new teeth. How many of you think that's awesome? You know who didn't think it was awesome? The guy. And what he said was, well, you don't understand. I just had An Andrew Womack, you know. I just had Andrew Womack pray with me to get some new teeth. So I'm going to have some growing, you know, supernatural in my, in my head. Now, I believe in that. Yeah. I believe in it. I'll believe with you. Amen. But if, you, if I pray with you to get new teeth and then somebody offers to pay for it, they call you, they say, God told me to pay for your teeth. <laughs> then, man, that's, that's a miracle. It costs a lot of money to get new teeth. God had to move that guy's heart. I'm a pastor. I know it's hard to get somebody to give money sometimes. That's a joke. You guys give easy. But it's a miracle. And, and so we celebrate it. Hallelujah. You aren't less of a Christian. You aren't less of a Christian. I'll tell you another story. This is, this is, one of, this is a funny one. I'll, I'll tell it a little different. I may not get it totally right because it's been several years ago. So Molly, my wife's a physical therapist. She's in a class right now. That's why she's not here. And, and so she was having this problem with her back, pain in her back uh, for a while. And so um, we prayed for her. She wasn't getting breakthrough. She did PT on herself. That wasn't helping either. And she'd also had pain like in her, in her hip, kind of down lower. And, but that was better, but her back was, was still hurting. So we're praying. So there's a gap, right? We're believing for this, but, but there's a problem, all right? And so, but we're not mad at God, and we're, we're not confused. We know God loves us and, and whatever. But we're, I'm standing in the kitchen one day, 
and, and my hip back here where, where Molly's hip hurt or used to hurt, it started hurting and then my back started hurting, which is one of the ways that I get a word of knowledge. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking to God, why are you telling me this? I know this. I know that my wife has these problems. I don't need, I don't, I don't think this qualifies as a word of knowledge. I tell people you can't know it naturally for it to be a word of knowledge. Why are you telling me this? But I know that's how he talks to me. So I said to Molly, well, you know, maybe we're supposed to pray for you. I'm feeling, you know, your problem. But I described it to her and I said, first I felt this hip and then I felt the back problem. And she said, you know, I've never thought about this, but maybe my, my hip, even though it's not hurting anymore, maybe it's, it's messed up and that's what's causing my back problem. Ding. Now she's a physical therapist. She understands that. She understands. So God's talking to her through me. And she, she you know, sometimes your hips get rotated. You know this. And it makes one leg longer than the other. She knows how to fix this. So we check. She fixes it. Her back's better. How many of you think that's cool? I think it's neat. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor, why didn't you just pray for her and get it? Look, we did. Jesus, Jesus won victories a lot of different ways. Just be glad, you know, sometimes, why do you blow on people, Pastor? Well, Jesus did it. Be glad I don't spit on anybody. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus spit on people and healed them. My pastor sometimes spits on people on accident because he gets so excited. I just tell people it's anointed spit, so thank God. You aren't less of a Christian if you receive some breakthrough in a, in a supposedly natural means. The balance to all that is that this is not an excuse to lower our expectations or quit praying for supernatural things to happen. We're meant to expect them. We've got to live with this tension. Two realities. Are you ready for them? Number one, Jesus died and he won a complete victory. This is absolutely true. What is equally true is that falling short of absolute victory does not mean that you are to condemn yourself. Everybody nod. Yes. Falling short of complete victory does not mean that you're not a good Christian. It doesn't mean that even necessarily that you've done something wrong. One of the more interesting stories in the Bible is in Judges 20. The nation of Israel has to go to war with the Benjamites because they've done this horrible thing. They, they rape and murder this woman. And they come and they battle the Benjamites. And the first thing that happens is they lose. A bunch of them die. There's no explanation given for why. I'm sure there was a reason, but they don't know the reason. And God says, try it again. And they go up again. And again they lose. There's no explanation. We don't know why sometimes. There's confusion and whatever. There's the fog of war, if you've heard that term. But God says, go up a third time. And the third time they win. I don't always know what's happening, but I know this. We'll go to war with you. Yes. We'll go to war with you. And it doesn't matter what happened in the past. It doesn't matter if you lost last time. Everybody say this with me. This time... This time, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. 
Because I'm a winner in Christ. Hallelujah. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to finish where we started. So what do we not want to do when we're faced with challenges? We don't want to panic. We don't want to try to go back to Egypt. We don't want to condemn ourselves and think we're not a good Christian. Do you know why sometimes you see somebody struggling around you and you're tempted to, to judge them in your heart? Do you know why you're tempted to do that? It's because you're insecure and you're afraid that what happened to them might happen to you. So if you judge them and you say, well, it's their fault and they're a terrible person, then you can protect your own heart and not feel afraid anymore. This is what Job's friends were doing. You don't want to be like Job's friends. You don't want to be like a guy named Bill Dad. Eliphaz, the Termini. They came to Job and they said, you know, all these terrible things happened to you. You must be a horrible person. Why were they doing that? Because they didn't want nothing terrible to happen to them. But it wasn't God's fault that Job had all these problems, and it wasn't Job's either. You know whose fault it was? It was the devil. The devil hated Job, and he attacked him. Is everybody okay? Hebrews 2. What do we do about all this? So we don't see everything under Jesus' feet, verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. We see Jesus. Pastor, how do I go through this difficult thing called life in the, in, in the presence of this reality that there's a gap between what I'm believing for and what, what I'm currently experiencing? The way you do it is to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And if you do that, four things will happen. So you look at Jesus and you see that he's... He's high and lifted up, so he's victorious. That prophesies to me that I'm victorious. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. So I look at Jesus, and I keep my hope up. I keep my hope up. I stay encouraged. Number two, I look at Jesus, and I see that all my sins are forgiven forever, so I stay thankful. I'm telling you, thankfulness is one of the most profound disciplines you can learn. We've just got to look at, we've got to look at the good, and we've got to be thankful for what's going on, not what isn't, not focused on what isn't happening. We see Jesus, and we see his love for us, number three, in the middle of our mess, so we're secure, which means that if I see somebody else's mess, I don't have to freak out and judge them. <laughs> Amen, Pastor. And finally, we see his character, that he's always good, and so we live unoffended. Yeah. We live unoffended. Amen. I don't have an excuse. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be offended at God. The Bible says that because of offense, the love of many will wax cold. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's giants in the land. They're all easy to kill for Jesus. But if one's giving you fits, that doesn't mean you have an excuse to be offended at God. God loves you whether you're mad at him or not. But I'm telling you, there's, there's only negative things will come your way if you get mad. If you live offended at God, it's, it's, a, it's a killer. It'll destroy your life. We don't want that for you.
God doesn't want that for you. Everybody all right? Let's all stand up. If my prayer team could come down here, I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need prayer, we're going to go to war with you. Believe God with you. It doesn't matter what happened before. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of victory. And we're going to believe God with you. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down in just a second. It's awesome to serve Jesus. I love serving Jesus. I love getting to do this. I love getting to do this with all of you. You guys are so awesome. It's so much fun to be your pastor. It really is. I, I, I enjoy getting to do it. And I enjoy getting to do life with you. So anyway, we're here. We're here to help you. Be a family of faith with you. Believe God. I'm going to pray for everybody. Remember, if you're new, please come to the link. We'd love to have you. Just sign up on your way out there. There's a sheet. If you haven't signed up for small groups, you can do that as well. Jesus, we just love you. Help us look at you, not at our problems. Help us see that you're high and lifted up, that you're victorious. So we're overcomers. Help us to see that you've forgiven us all our sins and so that we can thank you. And Lord, help us to just root deeply in our hearts that you're good so we won't be offended. Blessed is he that's not offended. We love you, Jesus. We worship you.